Last Sunday, we considered a monumental statement made by the Apostle Paul regarding the new state and nature of one who is born again of the Spirit of God. So complete a transformation is it that God performs in the life of a sinner saved by grace that Paul says that the Christian is in fact a new creation. And that means that the Christian must live out the kind of life which reflects that great change that has taken place. And I explained last week that based upon your being in union with Christ, there are two key principles which come into play in the Christian which make you distinct from everybody else. Separation and sanctification. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it is not a literal geographical kingdom with land borders and a capital city and a seat of government in the way that Old Test- the Old Testament nation of Israel was with Jerusalem as its capital city. That kind of distinction does not apply to the kingdom of God, which is the Christian church. The Lord's people live and work and shop in and amongst all the people and communities that they lived and worked and shop amongst, shopped amongst before they were saved. For the most part, unless the Lord providentially moves you or your conscience as a Christian will no longer permit you, you will carry on living in the same house You'll go to the same school, you'll work in the same employment, you'll drive the same car. All the things as they were before you came to Christ. But there's been this radical shift within you which has changed the way that you relate to all of those things. You've been separated to God and this work of grace continues in you. In in this world, there is a sinful and godless current and tide which all men and women are caught up in and which sweeps, sweeps them along. It's a current and tide in which God has no part and plays no part in their thought life or in their heart life, God is not acknowledged or considered by them in any of their plans. God features nowhere in their thinking. At what point during this coronavirus outbreak has any politician or commentator ever mentioned or asked what place God might have in all of this. God simply does not feature anywhere in their thinking. All of this the Bible simply calls the world or worldliness. It's a world which has rejected God on the one hand and in various ways and to various degrees 
exalts sin on the other. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. What he means by that is that it's a new spiritual identity and reality in which the Christian believer now lives and does so under the authority and the kingship of God in Christ and by means of the instruction and guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the Bible. And now, instead of being swept along by the current and tide of the world, instead of just falling into line with everyone else, the Christian, spiritually and morally, under the Lordship of Christ, starts to walk against the tide and against the current. You're still in the tide, still in the world, but not of it, walking against it. God has separated you from all the rest and he has begun and he will continue this sanctifying work of grace within you which marks you out as belonging to an altogether different kingdom to everyone else. So they were the basic principles that we looked at last Sunday. This evening I want us to examine a little more closely this issue of sanctification. That process by which you as a Christian are becoming increasingly distinct from those who continue to conform to the patterns of this world, just flowing with the godless tide. I want to consider this this evening in three ways. First of all, I want us to consider the big picture. The big picture. It's always helpful to keep in mind the big picture, the overall aim and goal and thrust of something. The way the Apostle Paul often teaches is to, first of all, establish clear main principles. And then once that's done, then he'll go into further detail. If you think back into the Old Testament, before God gave to Israel all of the ins and outs of the law under which they might live, uh, all of the fine detailed points of the law, before he gave them that, he gave them the big picture, the Ten Commandments. And later they would be abbreviated further still into love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. That's the big picture. It's a helpful thing to have, isn't it? Then you can start to look at some of the finer points of detail. What's the big picture when it comes to sanctification? Well, the important thing to remember is that it's not something new 
that you move on to after your conversion. It's the ongoing growth and application of your conversion. It's simply a continuation of what God has already begun. It's not something separate in that sense. It's not that you walk away from your conversion and move on to something else. This is what your conversion begins to look like and grows into. So Paul, when he writes to the Philippians at chapter 2, says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, in, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Keep on, keeping on in what you've become in Christ. That which you have become in Christ, live like it. One way it's described is as if you're walking in this world in a new set of clothes. Here's a young lady, and she's always been what people used to call, I think, uh, used to, a bit of a tomboy. I'm not quite sure that phrase gets used as much anymore today. But uh, here's a girl, and she's only ever seen in jeans and a T-shirt. No one, no one can ever recall seeing her in a, in a dress or a skirt. Not that that's particularly important, but you know what I mean. But today is the day when she's to be married. And she walks down the aisle. And for many of the guests, they can't ever remember her even being in a dress before. And they're all just stunned. Who is this beautiful, radiant young woman in her white wedding dress? Can she really be the same girl? Or here's the lad who's grown up in a rough area of town, a bit of a scally as we say in Liverpool. But he's joined the army and it's his passing out parade. And there he stands, immaculately dressed and turned out in his uniform. And disciplined and orderly. A dramatic and glorious and unmistakable transformation has taken place. Can this be the same young man? Here's how Paul describes it for the Christian in Romans chapter 13. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness or lewdness or lust or strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Talking about seeing the big picture, it doesn't get much bigger or bolder 
or clearer than that. The Christian is to put on Christ. What bigger change could there be? Paul wrote a letter to a man called Philemon. Philemon owned a slave called Onesimus. And it seems that Onesimus had betrayed Philemon and stolen from him. By God's providence, Onesimus has met up with Paul on one of the occasions when Paul was in prison. And Onesimus has been converted. And Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter in his hand. Onesimus is a changed man. You cannot become a Christian and not be changed. He was, uh, he was unprofitable to you, Philemon, writes Paul. But not anymore. He's been so profitable to me, I wanted to keep him. Such a help has he been to me. But I must send him back to you. And now, he'll be profitable to you. Don't treat him merely as a slave, but as he is, a brother in Christ. Of what use to God were you when you were in your sins? What possible use to God was I when I was lost in mine? But that's all being completely changed. Paul writes to Timothy, encouraging him. If anyone cleanses himself from sin, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So you see, these, these big pictures that Paul gives us. Someone arrayed in new clothes. Someone who once was of no use to God whatsoever and now is very useful indeed. The big picture to grasp is that the moment of your conversion was just the beginning. That change which God brought into your life takes root and now begins to work itself out within you. You turn around in that worldly tide and begin to walk the other way. The change which God produces within you is so remarkable that it's completely unmistakable. Some people wonder, if thou really can be you. And in God's eyes now, you are his useful vessel and instrument in his hand, who he can use for his own purposes and glory. And so Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and in the opening verse of chapter 4, he says this, I beseech you, to walk worthy of the calling 
with which you were called. So in terms of our sanctification, that's what we might call the big picture. But then the Apostle, in his writings, kind of turns up the magnification and starts to look at things in more detail. And so, secondly, we come to what we could call the fine detail. Last week I briefly mentioned some of those well-known passages in Paul's letters where he exhorts Christians to be rid of their old sins and to put on the new nature and conduct of one who is walking in Christ. I mentioned Galatians 5, I mentioned Ephesians 4, and I also mentioned Colossians 3, which we actually read earlier on. And let me just remind you of some of the things that uh, we read there. Put to death, says Paul, your members which are on the earth. Put, put to death uh, that which typified you when you were just going with the flow of the world. He mentions various things, doesn't he? Uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. That's the worldly, sinful tide. Don't lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and you've put on the new man being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. It's all about Christ, remember. The Christian turns around in that tide and begins to walk the other way. And Paul turns up the magnifying glass and he's the microscope and he, and he says it begins to look like this. All these individual things that you need to put off. And then he, he turns your attention to those things that you ought to be giving yourself to, doesn't he? Tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering bearing with, with one another, forgiving one another, and so forth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. One of the things that you can't escape from in all of these kinds of passages in Paul's letters is that, uh, that Christ is continually mentioned uh, as he makes his way through. It's all centred around Christ. Uh, he'll never let you forget The fine detail. A teenage girl who'd accepted Christ as her saviour had applied to become a member of her local church. She was asked a question. Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Oh yes, she replied. Well, are you still a sinner? She was asked. To tell you the truth, she said, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. 
Well, what real change have you experienced? I don't quite know how to explain it, she said, except I used to be a sinner running after sin. But now that I'm, a, now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. She'd got it. She'd understood. She was warmly received into the fellowship of the church. A man went to seek the counsel of a church pastor. He wanted to know how he could change his life and what he ought to do because over the past year he confessed that he'd stolen £1,500 from his employer. Here's what to do, said the pastor. Next year, make sure that you don't steal more than a thousand. The year after that, make sure you don't steal more than 500. And in year three, no more than 250. By the time you get to year four, hopefully you won't take anything. That's not what's needed, is it? Let him who stole steal no more. Cease from sin. Flee from sin. Put it down. Take it off. Have nothing to do with it. And the apostle turns up the magnification and he focuses in on individual sins. And he says, examine yourself. In the light of God's word. Find these things in yourself. Seek them out as they are within yourself. And be done with them. Take them off. Be rid of them. And replace those things with righteousness and godliness. Pick that up and put that on. And what a wise teacher Paul is. Do you notice how lots of the things which... Paul mentions are actually things to do with the heart and are often things that only God can see. But oh, how clearly he sees them. He talks about things like passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, malice. Those things of the inner heart and thought life those things that we can harbour inside us. Time to put it down. Time to take it off. And what are those things that by God's grace we should be giving ourselves to? What is it that we should be picking up and putting on? Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness. Long-suffering, forgiveness. Many of the qualities and graces which others will not just see in you, but feel coming towards them from you. Things that will edify, things that will 
help to keep us united together as one. Things that will do others good. Things which look away from yourself and look to the good of others. All these issues of the heart. A complete change of clothing. Off with the works of darkness and on with the armour of light. And again, the key to it all, being the elect of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you. So we've had Paul saying, put on Christ, and now he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. It's the internalising of the word of God within you. It's the indwelling of Christ himself. You abiding in him, him abiding in you. The word of God becoming written in your heart, changing and shaping you. And it is this outward expression of Christ-likeness. But there's an interesting phenomenon that is frequently experienced by the Christian. Do you remember what the girl said in our little illustration as she was being questioned for church membership? To tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. You know, that's actually quite a common experience amongst Christians. I'll explain it like this. Uh, a couple purchased a plot of land out in the country where they planned to build their new home. They were going to do most of the work themselves. When they first looked at the piece of land, they realised that it was strewn with several dozen large boulders. And so they enlisted some help and had them removed. It was only once the boulders had gone that they realised just how many smaller rocks there were there that would also need to be removed. And so several hundred rocks later, they stood and looked and were staggered to see how many thousands of pebbles would also need to be got rid of before they could begin digging foundations for their new home. They hadn't been able to see the rocks for the boulders. And they hadn't been able to see the pebbles for the rocks. There are times when a Christian can feel as if their life has become more sinful. In reality, it hasn't. The reality is that they've just become more acutely aware of their own sin. First, the big boulders needed moving. But that just exposed all the rocks. And when they were gone, that just revealed even more pebbles. But at every stage, real spiritual progress is being made as they strive against the world's unrelenting tide, putting off and putting on Christ. And then, to conclude this evening, you do need to make sure that you maintain the right attitude. The right attitude. The big picture, the fine detail, the right attitude. I want to conclude briefly by reminding you where all this is to come from. 
from where all of this emanates in the life of a Christian. I read somewhere, it's easier to cry against a thousand sins of others than to kill one sin of your own. How brutally efficient most of us are at pointing out faults and failings in others. But to see and do away with just one of my own, what a monumental task that can be. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, This I say and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. And to the Galatians he would say, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And on that basis, don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. This life to which you've been called, all of these exhortations which the word of God lays at your feet time and time again, they're all of Christ. Your salvation is the salvation that he has become for you, as we remembered last Easter weekend. Your life is his life which you put on. His mind is now to be your mind. The attitude of your heart and mind is actually not that of looking to yourself, but of looking to Christ. It's been said that holiness consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. The Australian coat of arms pictures two creatures, the emu and the kangaroo. Those two animals were chosen partly because they share a characteristic which appealed to Australian citizens. I don't know if any of you know what that characteristic is that is shared by an emu and a kangaroo. It seems an unlikely pairing that they might have something that they share in common, but they do. And it's this. Neither of them are able to walk backwards. The emu's three-toed foot causes it to fall if it tries to walk backwards. And the kangaroo is prevented from moving in reverse because of its large tail and the way in which the tail acts as a counterbalance through its spine with its large rear legs. It can't shuffle backwards. How does the Christian ensure that they're only ever moving forward? How does the Christian ensure 
that they continue to make progress against the tide of the world. You'll always be in it. How can you make sure that you're always making progress against it in the opposite direction? How can the Christian ensure that they're only ever moving forward? You keep your eyes, your heart, your mind fixed on Christ. What does it mean to be living in this world but to be of an altogether different kingdom? You keep your eyes, your heart and your mind on Christ your King. How do you make sure that you always have in view the big picture? How do you deal with the boulders and the rocks and the pebbles of sin? On your knees before the Lord with an open Bible and with your eyes, your heart and your mind fixed upon Christ. Therefore, let us not sleep, said Paul to the Thessalonian church. Others do that, they're, they're lethargic, they're careless. Let us not be like that. Let us watch. Let us be sober. Let us be alert and awake and vigilant. Let us give ourselves wholeheartedly to being the people of God that we ought to be. Let us give ourselves wholeheartedly to walking worthy of the calling with which we have been called to the praise and honour of our Saviour and King.